Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the program, our 130th episode of Concert Pipeline. 130. Right. We have uh, a really cool artist that I saw open for AFI uh, about two weeks back at the Fox Theater in Oakland. And that is the Chain Gang of 1974. Very cool. Now you had the opportunity. You were not at the interview, but you had the opportunity to see their sleepwalking video. What did I, you? What I, were your d- I did. I did. I thought it was very well done. Um, I was surprised how mesmerized I uh, uh, became, <laughs> and that was before I started seeing the car going around in circles and circles and circles. I mean, that was mesmerizing, mesmerizing itself. But I thought they did a good job on the video. I mean, the song's good. Um, you know, even without the video, that's a great song. But I think they did a great job uh, really kind of capturing um, the, the elements of the song in the video. Uh, and the staging was, was, was good. It's a great venue for it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, um, well done. And, the, and they, like I said, they opened up for AFI. And it was cool to see AFI. Again, I've, I've seen them live once before and then met them, year, you know, years before um, at a concert. But... Uh, but AFI was kind of one of those bands that, you know, when I was really getting into music, they were one of the ones that I uh, pick, picked up on pretty uh, quickly. And um, and really, like, they, uh, they were a go-to band for me. I'd play their albums over and over and over again. And um, even their uh, one of their songs was uh, my ringtone on my phone, actually, for, uh, for a while. Be- because it's really loud and in your face also. Right, uh, gets your attention right away. I was asking you before because I had done the same thing a while back, back when yeah. you know ringtones from music, like little you know music clips on your as, as your ringtone was popular. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, um, I I loved it, but it just got me so sick of the song so quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I mean, I was I definitely got sick of the song pretty quick, uh, and uh, I did go back and revisit it. Uh, recently, uh, gearing up to the concert, I, I revisited their albums. There, I haven't listened to the the band in a uh, in a handful of years at this point, really. But they just put out their uh, their new album, uh, the Blood album, and uh, and so I listened to that. It was the same. It came out the uh, the same day I saw them, I think, or, or no, the day the day after, the day before I saw them. So I listened to it a couple of times. Listened to some of their older albums that I liked and. Uh, Got ready for their show. It was cool to see him live. That was cool. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so that was cool. And then uh, I uh, I interviewed uh, Cam from the Chain Gang of 1974 uh, backstage before their set. It was a rainy day in the uh, in Oakland, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was the Fox. This was the Fox. Yeah. This was and the Fox, not at the Fox, but was the Fox. The Fox Theater in Oakland. And um, talking about rain, we've got uh, just nothing but rain happening. Pretty much. Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. Yeah. So, um, but you were safe inside and got to experience uh, the whole show. I, yes, I was. Uh, although some people uh, throughout the day were not. They, when we got there, there were pe- uh, people lined up around the building. There, were pe- there was a tent pitched that uh, people were, I guess, camping out in. To wow. People were, yeah, this show was very sold out. I think it sold out, I want to say, within probably 30 minutes of going on sale. Holy shit. So we're talking about true fans here. 
Yeah, yeah. And AFI hasn't toured in a little bit either. I think it's been a couple of years since they toured. So people bleed for AFI. <laughs> and uh, and and there were some fights that I saw happening uh, during the concert as well. Really? So one female fight. Yeah. Uh, hair pulling? Uh, hair pulling. Oh, yes. right. Yes. Uh, I would have paid to see that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to. It was like a free show for me. It was, oh, it was hey, great. People, people worship Davey Havoc, uh, the lead singer of AFI. And, right. And... Uh, and yeah, so I, he, he puts on a, sh- a good show Their Their whole set was only like an hour and 15 minutes though, which is, which is surprising because they have such a catalog of music. It's a little short. Yeah. Maybe they got distracted years. when the chicks were, you know, beating on each other. It's, that was probably it. They just cut it short. They, they lost their vibe. You're right. Yeah. That's probably it. So what was the atmosphere besides the fighting part? What was the atmosphere like? I mean, are we talking? Pure fighting. <laughs> just blood and guts, yes. gore. Yes. Everywhere. Not pretty. Yeah. No. I mean, it, was it like, whoa, you know, raging or moshing or, I mean, what was the atmosphere? There, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as moshing per se, but people really got into it and, uh, and there was a little bit of pushing and there is, I mean, it's a punk rock type crowd. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. A- AFI started out really punk rock and then they went mainstream and, uh, and so they kind of latched onto a, obviously a larger number of fans, but a lot of people that kind of thrive toward the the punk rock right uh feel so all right cool yeah so that was good how have you been i've been all right yeah i mean normally i have some fun stories to to share and stuff but it's been uh, you know pretty boring uh since the last podcast i haven't really um oh i bought a tree you bought a tree yeah that's exciting <laughs> i actually got out of the house and i went and bought a tree yes and um this is the highlight, by this the way. This is the highlight of, of the past two of weeks. My, not yet, exactly. Yes. No joke. This is the highlight of the past two weeks. I made it out of the house. Uh-huh. Uh, went to Costco of all places. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I went to Costco of all places so I could buy a tree. And what's particularly cool about this is that I walked in there and I saw the tree. And uh, it really stood out to me because it was red. The bark I'm talking about, it's like doesn't have any leaves on it. It was yeah. just the bark was just blood red, talking about, you know, bloody concerts. It was blood red. And I figured that is gonna look awesome in our backyard. I'm gonna buy this bloody tree. And um so here I am with the tree in my cart, like a dumbass. I didn't buy the tree I didn't put the tree in the cart at the end of okay. my shopping thing. I bought the I put the tree in the cart at the beginning of my so here I am pushing this cart around, looking through all these branches at everyone. Like I'm like, hey. You're just peering through the just branches. Just peering through all the branches. Through. Yeah, I can't really see, but uh, I know my way around Costco. Were you trying to follow them around inconspicuously? Like nothing is <laughs> like you're hiding behind. I'm not following you. I'm just hiding behind this tree. You can't see me. Just a tree in a shopping cart. It happens every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to buy some chicken. You can't tell I'm buying chicken because I'm hiding. <laughs> Next in line, please. Uh, oh, yes. The tree. The tree? Oh, all right, tree. Do you have your Costco card with yes. you? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's me. I'm hiding here by the tree. And that was cool. And then, um, you know, I just got excited about this tree and didn't really think about how I was going to get it home, right? It's a tree. So there I was in the parking lot with my car and the tree. And um, I'm like, how am I going to get this thing home? But luckily... So you didn't... Did you... You hadn't planned for that. You just... Well, I, I, I eyeballed the tree and I kind of thought really quickly about whether that's going to fit in my car. And I figured, yeah, that'll fit. It's small enough. Yeah. You know, but I think I was a little bit uh, overly excited. Um, so when I was out there and it was sprinkling a little, um, I had the back of my car open and, uh, you know, there was no way this tree was going to fit in. 
so what I had to do, luckily I had all these bungee cords, you know, like it's really important when I just want to put this out there. Everybody should have a bunch of bungee cords in their car. Just in case you grab a tree spontaneously. and Right. Absolutely. And I bought these bungee cords at Home Depot or someplace maybe 10 years ago. It's like the first time I've used them. Um, but I'm so glad. I'm You're so glad, now glad you had them. Yeah, that I had the insight way back though, you know, way back when to actually buy bungee cords. So I took all the bungee cords and I just wrapped all the, you know, stems, branches together because it was kind of a branchy tree. Yeah. Um, so that it sort of looked like those netted Christmas trees. Okay. And once I had that all, you know, figured out, I was able to boom, put it in the car. So the, the, the pot was up against the back door. This is a small SUV that I have. Uh-huh. Um, and the branches were literally going through the uh, front, between the front seats and sort of touching the windshield. So I had some branches in my face, but it was cool. You know, it was like never, a bonding. Never hurt anybody, right? Never hurt anybody. I didn't, I mean, I thought I was going to, you know, um, lose an eye there. I was getting poked, but yeah. it was a good bonding experience. You know, I was, I was feeling good about the tree, uh, you know, trying to establish that healthy relationship. And then um, I put it out there in the dirt and it's been raining and I think it's, 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 you know, happy. It is. Yeah. It's happy. It found its home. It found its home. Yes. At least it was happy yesterday when I, you know, looked at it, but. Uh, I'll keep checking on it. You check sure it every couple of days or so. Every couple of days, I'll just check. But I wouldn't know if it's not happy because it's not like it's going to lose its leaves. It doesn't have any. So, so h- how do you get in touch with maybe the inner being within the, the inner tree? being of the tree? I think I just have to feel its energy. And if I see that it's turning brown, then I, you know there's room to be concerned there, I think. But uh, no, I, th- I think it's good. I mean, um, yeah, I think I'm making this experience out to be bigger than it actually you, was. You definitely need to be reporting back on uh, <laughs> on the status of the tree. On the status of the tree. The tree's chi. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. it's a zen uh, it's a zen thing, and it's very much um, feng shui. Yes. It was the very last missing piece in our yard. Yes, excellent. It's, it's a beautiful. It looks like a fucking park. I look forward to seeing this, this tree in all its glory. <laughs> it looks like a park, like a state park. Is that what you're it looks going like, It looks like a little state park. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like when you walk by and you have that little uh, park that just kind of takes up a little corner of a block. That's yeah. sort of what our backyard yeah, is. You, you just need a sign with Smokey saying, saying, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. You can prevent forest fires. It needs a little tacky bench and it needs... Um, you know, it needs to be called something, a sign, like this is the blah, blah park, you know, yes. red tree park. I don't know. Yes. We'll have to think about that. What are we going to call the park? Think about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. It's great. You know what? It's also great is when we let people know how they can get a hold of us on the, the podcast. We yeah. Don't, we you know, we haven't discussed that. that. We haven't done that in a bit. We haven't yeah. discussed that since I made the cards and I finally yes. knew how to get in contact with, you know, us. Yes. So there's several different ways. And what, uh, what is that, Jens? So we are available on uh, Facebook. And how can you reach us on Facebook? Facebook slash Concert Pipeline Pod. You got it. And the rest are a little bit different. They're just Concert Pipeline. That is right. So that would be like YouTube. Yes. Slash Concert Pipeline. Yep. We've got Instagram. We do. Slash Concert Pipeline. We do. And the last one? We, Twitter and uh, Periscope. That's right. Yeah. Twitter and Periscope. Slash Concert Pipeline. See, I remembered. Make it nice and easy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Facebook is where you go can go to see exclusive videos uh, from the artists that are uh, on the podcast. We've been having a lot of uh, personal Concert Pipeline performances recently. 
that we shoot to, uh, for the Concert Pipeline Facebook page also. So you should definitely check those out. Great artists like Surf and James, Surf and James, who were on last week. Um, and they'll be playing Bottle Rock. We also had Travis Hayes recently, uh, who uh, we interviewed at Slim's in San Francisco. Um, and Dan Leis from Augustana. Um, a, a bunch of performances just for Concert Pipeline that you can check all those out um, either on the YouTube or uh, on our Facebook page. So check that out, the YouTube and our very own Facebook page. Yes. Um, and so we're going to get into the interview with uh, Cam from the Chain Gang right now. Um, we'll play a song from their set a little bit later. And then uh, uh, after that, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Frank Turner show. He uh, just came back to the Bay Area and played at the Warfield. So we'll tell you a little bit about that um, uh, after we hear from Cam from Chain Gang. I am here with Cam and uh, Cam. So tell me a little bit about the uh, Chain Gang of 1974, how you kind of got started, that sort of thing. We'll start at the beginning. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Um, well, if you want to go to the beginning, that was 10 years ago. Yeah, just and past the 10 years. Yeah, just recently hit 10 years. I think it'll officially, like the first show I think was played around February of 2007. So um, yeah, 10 years. Um, you know, though, it has been 10 years since, I guess, the, the birth of the project. I think the real, um, you know, birth date was, I kind of like to look at it is when Wayward Fire came out, which that was 2011. You know, that I was signed and put like the official record out. But um, yeah, it has been 10 years though. I mean, you can't, I guess there's yeah. no going around it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you're you're actually born in San Jose, so yeah. But how, how long did Santa you live Clara. in California? Oh yeah, I lived in Santa Clara. When oh, I was amazing! Too, yeah. So um, I was born in Santa Clara. I was only there until I was three, so I don't really remember much of it. But yeah. um, moved to Hawaii when I was three years old and was there for ten years, and then Denver for twelve years, and now LA. Been in LA for like six years. Yeah. But yeah, this is a hometown. Yeah. yeah. So, so how did um how did Hawaii have an influence on you musically? Like, did did your parents were they in, really into music and? My uh, my parents were my parents are musical. I mean, but um they're from Iran, so the only real like musical influence that I would get from them were uh it was like Persian music, and it wasn't anything I really cared for ever. But it was what I heard coming from them. Um. Maybe I have to owe some of my rhythm to that. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna be one of those people that it's like, oh, I grew up with the Beatles. I grew up with it. Just my parents listened to a bunch of obscure Persian shit that I didn't know, and that was it. But it was familiar to me. Um, I think growing up in Hawaii had a significance because you know you're living on an island. It's pretty just secluded. And at the time when we when we first moved to Waikoloa, I was in the Big Island. Um, no joke there were homes and then a tiny general store that like served a purpose as half a grocery store and half a post office and that was oh, it. wow that was it for like three years and yeah. like our there was no school in the town so we had to go to Waimea which was like 25 minutes away from where I lived yeah because that's where the school was so it slowly started to develop you know f later on but for the most part there was nothing there so a lot of our time was just spent listening to the radio and um, there was a good alternative rock station and that was kind of like the birth of it, I guess. You know, we, I have three brothers and we're all pretty in love with music and find music to be extremely important to someone's life. And um, yeah, I, uh, I can't remember the name of that radio station, but 
I spent a lot of time listening to it. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of just a lot of radio and a lot of MTV, and that was kind of like, the, I guess, the birth of my obsession with music. What were what videos on MTV were influenced you? I mean, I I always go to. 1979 by the pumpkins you know that's yeah. still is one of the greatest music videos if i think that's actually my favorite music video of all time um it was just you know i remember actually i remember when oasis put out uh do you know what i mean or i'm saying it like them do you know what i mean but um yeah that i remember when that video premiered it was like such a big deal i think mtv like played it at the top of every hour yeah um so i remember when that happened i was extremely excited it was like tuned in for it but um yeah, those were cool times, man. Yeah. Now that I just think about it, it's like those were the moments when you'd be homesick from school and you just watch MTV and something comes on and you think is awesome. You just have a pen and paper and you write it down and then yeah. go to like Borders Books and Music later and check out the CD. I think Borders had the thing where you scan the CD right, and you right. can preview the songs. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, I did a lot of that. Yeah. And Oasis, like I had a cassette tape of What's the Story, oh, Morning yeah. Glory and would like play it you know endlessly you know oh yeah flipping it over oh, or, dude. You know, I mean, everything like they're yeah. they're a band that taught me how to be in love with the band yeah like they're one of the like they're one of the first few that Same. was um yeah it was like okay i like love a band yeah so, yeah uh, i can totally re- relate to that fuck yeah um so, so your first full length was uh white guts yeah that was the first i guess technical full length if you want to yeah. say that um it was like fully self-released um had a very very short existence half of the material ended up going on the wayward fire which was the quote-unquote official debut record but white guts yeah that was the first time i'd ever compiled what you would call a full-length record so 2010 so tell me about the process for for making that like did you write everything beforehand and then go in the studio and that that was the first time but actually that was that was also half and half so i was working with a guy um his name is Christoph Eagleton and he's more of a sound designer now like does extremely well for himself um, as a sound designer but he was the first person that I ever started collaborating with because when I first started with Chain Gang it was just me very minimal running stuff up Pro Tools not really understanding how it all worked but making it work essentially yeah um so when I finally kind of started talking with Christoph, he had much more knowledge on softwares and we just kind of started collaborating more. He knew what I wanted. He knew how to do what I wanted. Um, so we worked together for a while. We made actually we actually made a record that never came out. Um, it's, like a, it's a lost album. I'm the only person to have Uh-oh. it. No one will ever hear it. Oh, no, no. It's uh, gonna, things don't go away, <laughs> Cam. No one, no one will have it. But um, And then when I kind of started, I kind of started to shift essentially. It, yeah. it went from... I had a maybe it was a couple of years where I was just trying to kind of go for a very hard electro sound. That was you know when Dim Mac and Ed Banger and all that stuff was like yeah. the hot ticket. You know, like everyone wanted to be Justice. Everyone wanted just that. You know, like the French movement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I was extremely involved and obsessed with that shit. And there was a lost. There was a lost couple of years with that. The sound shifted. Um, and this go, kind of goes back to the early days of the band where. It took a while for it to kind of get where it is now, but it it was it was shape shifting a lot until a certain moment. So White Guts was that first moment where I started writing with Isom Innes, who uh, he's a member of Foster the People, old friend from Colorado. We actually moved to LA together, and we started writing songs together because my mind was kind of expanding a bit more as opposed to like wanting to do this kind of 
funky, kitschy, electro kind of punky stuff. Yeah. And be like, okay, well, I kind of want to push a bit more maybe on like the more, I think, new romantic 80s kind of stuff. But it was still wasn't even really fully there yet. It was still kind of, I was in a lot of talking heads and a lot of LCD sound systems. So it was like, I was kind of getting more into kind of the more musical side of dance music. Anyways, long story short, White Guts was a combination of songs with Kristoff and songs with Isom. Okay. Uh, I put the record out and it was, I think, out there for three weeks. And then I was approached by Warner and I got signed off that. Like, it was like a month later. And then they were like... they they basically came and were like, do you want to release this or do you want to go in and make another record? Yeah. And I was like, I think half of this could work for what I can turn into another record. So yeah. Wayward Fire, which was the official record, is a bit of a Frankenstein. That's still kind of like, it was a, I took some pieces from that and then I built more pieces and we pieced it together. Yeah. But, so- so signing to Warner was that like was it like uh, was there any hesitancy towards that or was it like a no brainer like okay this is it I'm you know this is to like- me at the time was a no brainer only because of who signed me who I was involved with with management and um, we put Wayward Fire out via Modern Art Records which was a subsidiary I don't even think it was like technically a subsidiary of Warner but they were it was under like the ILG umbrella so. Um, we knew we were going to kind of do the indie start with some major backing if we needed it. Um, and the uh, his name is Kevin Kusatsu. He signed me to Warner Brothers. Okay. Um, he now just, just sticks with management where I'm signed to their management company. But he, at the time, had Diplo. He was starting Diplo's career out. So um, Teamwork has now turned into this big company. They have Diplo, Major Lazer, Dylan Francis. Like It's a you know, fantastic company and proud to be a part of it. Um, so I trusted him because he was at Vagrant for a few years okay. and signed the bands that we love. Yeah. I mean, if you have any, you know, yeah, involvement yeah. in Absolute Punk, then you know who he signed. You yeah. know, like you don't have to say it. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was telling me that stuff. But he just got music. He understood it. So at the time, it was very, very exciting. So that was where you wanted to be. And yeah, like, I just knew what, I wanted yeah. to be with him. My man, I wanted to be with my management. It worked out. Um, and Band at Mod- and Modern Art did a fantastic job with it. Um, after that cycle ended, I think it was like the last show of the, of that cycle, and um, I got word that Warner wanted to upstream me. Yeah. So we I knew going into the Daydream Forever cycle that that was going to be a Warner record. Yeah. So um, so back to this last album that's coming out later this year to yeah, celebrate right. your tenth anniversary. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is it that that kind of you know is it something you just want to stay hidden? You're you're not like you. I mean, it's experimental. I, it just wasn't good. Okay. It just wasn't good. Yeah. You know, it took a while for me to kind of figure out who I was and what I wanted to kind of be. And even with Wayward Fire, like there are moments on that record where I'm like, I was like, oh, I was trying way too hard. I was just, too, you know, like. Yeah. I wasn't even singing the way I wanted to sing. I wasn't singing naturally. It was just a lot of bullshit in a way. But you have to learn from it. You can't look yeah. back and be embarrassed and try and hide it. It's all a learning experience. I am where I am now because of those experiences. Absolutely. But. Yeah. And uh, so Daydream Forever is uh, your, your newest release, right? 2014. So it's been a couple of years. So, yeah, but yeah. you've put out a couple of singles since then. And, yes. And you're working on a, a new album as it's well. It's done. It's been it's done, done for about eight months. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's we're we're building up to it right now yeah yeah so we haven't like announced the record yet but it's coming extremely like very very soon like we're gearing up to like kind of 
let the world know that it's coming. So. Yeah, and so you you put out the sl uh, the slow single, um, mm -hmm. you know, f uh, for that. That's the first single. And then it was a second. I okay. still wonder oh. uh, was right. the first single, right. um, kind of more of a soft release to ba basically let the world know, like, hey guys, like I'm here. This is what I've been up to. And then uh, I think a couple months after that, we put Slow out. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have the video uh, with Slow who, yeah. um, uh, John actually uh, let me know, uh, Morgan Freed was the director yes. Who, yes. who does Emo Night. Yes. And so tell me how that came about. Um, he's just an old friend. Yeah, I met him. It was one of the first parties I had in LA when I first moved to LA. I just had a bunch of people over and um, he, one of my old friends from Colorado, they're, they're good buddies and he came over they came over together. I I met him, and we just kind of became friends. We'd always see each other out, and he's just a good dude, like a really good dude. And um, yeah, you know, as you know, they've had a lot of success um, in the last couple yeah. of years, and good for them. They built you know that idea into a into a fucking big reality. And uh, so he, yeah, he, he kind of came to me, and they they were doing a lot of uh, cool stuff that I was a fan of, and we kind of just started talking about concepts and we went with it we wanted something simple like chain gang's never really been even though it's just me i've never really kind of put my face on anything yeah it's like i mean obviously i have with photos and a couple of videos, videos but it's like yeah. even with even with daydream forever like i wasn't in any of the music videos it was just like you know i don't, I don't know so this time we kind of wanted to just present something and i think wanted to show um how this band is live and how the energy is live and he understood that and he was able to kind of pitch us an idea yeah and so i was uh i was reading that the undertones for this album actually there's a, a lot of it that's kind of about this girl that you're uh, kind of chasing who is in this other uh relationship right um a few few of the songs yes okay. yeah. yeah uh yeah she was just you know i think people can relate to that yeah. stuff and um yeah i still wonder was about that slow was actually influenced by the demise of like the Warner Brothers relationship and like mm -hmm. kind of not having a good experience there. So it sounds like a breakup song, but it's not. It's yeah. about, you know, kind of just being let down by shit. But um, yeah, you know, I think I was, my my first two records were all about one specific person. Um, but this time around, I kind of, you know, there's still like the heartbreak topic and stuff like that, but it's about other people. And, yeah. Yeah, and and so it sounds like I mean a lot of your writing is really personal. Do yeah. You, do you are do you find it challenging to write kind of fictional uh, about? Yeah, I honestly I don't really know how to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, in between records, in between J dating forever, and then you know now kind of building into this cycle, I was, you know, the older you get, the less you want to tour. Yeah. You know, I'm 31 now. It's like I'm still young, but mm -hmm. and touring's incredible, but at the same, it's not as easy yeah oh I yeah. it's not as easy it's but, like you know I like yeah yesterday it was like I had to or this morning I had to leave and you know say bye to my girlfriend I'm like I'll see you in three weeks and stuff like that but it's like it is what it is I'm so appreciative but anyways like it just the older you get it becomes a bit more difficult so um kind of there was a lot in that happened kind of in my head after we got out of the deal with Warner Brothers I was just kind of fed up with everything I was like do I want to do this anymore do I want to make another record so I started doing a lot of external writing, um, just like writing for other artists. And that, going back to your question, um, it was interesting because you have to kind of adapt and write about what they want to write about. Yeah. But I, didn't, I would have a hard time kind of trying to get that done because I would just want to write about this like personal stuff that's very honest and like kind of depressing. Yeah. And they'd be like, 
what are you doing? We're trying to write like a pop song here, you know, like yeah. talk about that kind of shit. I don't know. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Like Dylan Francis, right? You. Uh, yeah, that's that's one example. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was the first time I'd ever done that. It just I was asked to kind of do it. I did it, and it turned out being his first single. So then from there, I started just doing kind of more of that stuff. So co-wrote for Jai Wolf, um, 303. Yep. Um, what else did I get? Annabelle Jones, who's an Atlantic artist, Luna Shadows. Um, I think I have a song coming out on this artist, Grace Mitchell's record. So it's, it's actually, I enjoy doing it. It's fun. Yeah. Um, and I like to, I'm going to probably focus on that a bit more too. It's cool. It's cool to have that balance, you know, do your own thing and then, you know, work with other people, collaborate as as well. You have to. Yeah. You have to. I kind of had a realization of, you know, I've done music for so long, so it must, I must know how to do music the best out of anything. So I might as well do as much of it as possible. So, you know, I made another chain gang record. I write for other artists. I start another band that has some really cool things about to happen. So what's that band? Tell me about it. It's called Teenage Wrist. Okay. Um, Yeah. We're just like a rock band and um, it's fun. How do you balance both bands? I'm about to find out. <laughs> it was pretty much as a side project yeah. uh, with some friends, and then it's it's been really cool to kind of see it grow. It's been growing on a really rad level, and so you've been recording and yeah, we're at, once this AFI tour is over and like the headlining run, yeah, um, Marshall. So Marshall, I went to high school with him, Marshall Gallagher. Okay, he's actually playing bass for us in these first two shows because our oh, bass nice. player couldn't make it. Oh. He's flying out to Portland. But yeah, Marshall and I um, and and the other guys were gonna sit down and kind of write the record after this tour's over. Spend a couple months doing that, and then I'll kind of come back to Chain Gang World for a bit. Yeah. Go about the Teenage Wrist World, and we'll figure. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll yeah. See, I'll see it'll, how it works. It'll, it'll be an experience. Yeah, yeah it'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, that, that's cool. Um, and you mentioned three hundred three. You were uh, the touring basis yeah, for them. Yeah. Like, how how do you get set up with that? Like, how that? They were just early supporters yeah. of Chain Gang. You know we're all fellow Colorado people and um, I had met them a bit before I started Chain Gang so it was like a quick meeting we kind of just knew each other and yeah one thing led to another and um, actually you know what it was a funny story because like they've become like family they're like some of my best friends but it's kind of you know you got to think sometimes if you made a certain decision what if you didn't do that like I remember they announced a show in Denver sold out immediately and it said on the website it said like opener to be announced so I just emailed them on MySpace I'm like hey what's going on like it's Cam we met once um, you taught me kind of like some things about like live tracks but hey here's my music if you need an opener like let me know I hope everything's going well like I didn't know them Yeah. and yeah I think they like verbatim said you're exactly what the motherfucking 303 doctor ordered you're on the show so Yeah. Like, fuck yeah so I showed up met them all we're like yo what's going on and it was a birth of a beautiful friendship and um they'd always just kind of have me open for shows and then they started expanding their live show and i toured with them for um yeah about three years it was awesome just saw the world yeah it was really cool it was nice i kind of took a little break from this and did that yeah another uh, band that you've talked about is being family um actually um, you toured with them, played here back in November, the Naked and Famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually interviewed them at uh, I interviewed the Naked and Famous at that show. Mm. Um, right awesome in this room, actually. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So tell me about your relationship with them. And I know Tom pr- is uh, produced your album. That's, Tom produced the forthcoming out. record. Yeah. yeah. Um, we we got offered their tour in 2012, I believe, and 
yeah, we we were direct support for two months. Oh, I think it was like six weeks. Mm. And we all met. We all became really good friends. Right after that tour, they all moved to L.A. So we just kind of became closer. And, yeah, it's all buddies. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when I kind of was finally in that headspace where I wanted to make another Chain Gang record, I knew that I kind of wanted to shift things just a little bit. And I knew I had to kind of collaborate with someone different this time. And yeah. I started talking. Tom and I went out one night. And we were just, like, hanging out and... I was like, hey, I think I'm ready to start making Shanghai music again. Like, I have a song written. Can I come over? And maybe we can just jam. He's like, yeah, come over. And um, I played him the song. And, like, I think it was, like, a couple days of just having fun and writing and everything. And then we had the song done. I was like, you should do the record. He's like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. We spent about a year just working on it together. And it was awesome. So when you're uh, choosing a producer for uh, for an album, how do you kind of um, what qualities do you look for? Like, I mean, is it uh, you have the idea already kind of planned out, and you're like, hey, this person would balance that, or? I mean, I've never I've never made a record where it's like sitting with management and sitting with a label, and be like, okay, send us a list of producers, like who give us some of your favorite albums, and like we'll con- like we'll see what's going on, and we'll set up meetings. Yeah, it's always been like, hey, Isom, you're my at the time roommate and best friend. Uh, let's fucking make an album. You want to just jam for like two weeks? Yeah, cool. Let's do it like yeah. that. And then we just make a record. Same with Tom. Like Tom's a, Tom's a friend, so it was just kind of like, it's not like I sat in this formal meeting and was like, I want to like talk. It's just like, do you have the time? You want to do yeah. this? I think we can make some good shit together. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, to answer that question, I don't really know. I don't. I don't. I've never done like the formal like demo a record and then like send out to producers or, yeah yeah it's just always kind of been friends natural and natural thing just hang out have fun and make some make songs yeah so tell me about uh sleepwalking and the impact on uh on that kind of how that helped kind of you know ex- explode your your career a little bit yeah you know it 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 was a really really cool thing i still have people come to shows and you know, they always say, like, I know this sounds stupid because I found you on GTA, but, like, I ended yeah. up going through everything after. And I'm like, yo, it's not stupid. Like, that's a massive platform. Yeah. And, you know, I there was a moment where I was like, am I just going to be looked upon as that GTA band? Like, but Song in a video game. Yeah, and, but, yeah. you know, it did really good things. And it, it it's rad because that song still has movement, which is strange to me because it's been so long. But... Yeah, the time was really awesome. It was a really yeah. cool thing, and you know, I think there was a really great record attached to that song, and um, yeah, it served its purpose. It was really cool. It brought the band to a you know a bigger level than it was. We're still a pretty small band, and you know, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's something that's pretty incredible. I have to kind of stop and think as to how actually how big that moment was. Yeah, you know, in the times it was just kind of in the moment. I think I kind of just let it be. Um, when I should have maybe just stopped and really understood how great it was, but yeah, it was rad, man. I wrote I wrote a song for the biggest video game of all time. Like that's fucking, pretty awesome. Fucking you, cool. You, know, you, you always know I mean? have that, right? I'll it's, always have that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And so your, your headlining tour is coming up after this this tour right now with the Technicolors. And yeah, the yeah, we're just doing a quick run of headlining shows. You know, it's not going to be like a big proper headlining tour. It's like we end the AFI in Toronto. So okay, we're like hey, let's set up some shows and just have fun on the way home so we're bringing some friends out uh technicolors who are good friends and bel-air who we toured with along with sir sly um a few years ago and we got to know them too yeah, yeah. so so tell me about how this uh afi tour came about how i mean first show was like last night right first show was last night tonight's at the first real technical show i guess okay. if you want to say that because last night was 
pretty much a show for their fan club. Like okay. it was like the show sold out on the fan club pre-sale alone. Wow. So we didn't even announce the show. Like no, like so th- it was very like it was AFI's yes. night. I mean every night's AFI's night, but it was like very we're here for AFI. Absolutely, yeah. You know, kind of a we, thing. we bleed AFI. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um it was really cool though and it came about yeah, we just got my manager called me. He's like, "Hey, we got offered the AFI tour. Will you want to do it?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's do it." Let um, me think. Uh, yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah pretty crazy that we're on this tour. Like, um, it's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a memory of AF- seeing AFI growing up or? I, I mean, anything? Warped yeah. Tour and yeah. stuff like that. But um, yeah, it just it's weird. A lot. I gotta like let these moments sink in. I feel like a lot of times I just kind of go with emotion. I'm like, okay, cool, like. You know, I'm very OCD and make sure everything's set up properly and all our stuff, but I got to just kind of stop and really appreciate this. And I feel like I'm doing that this time around. But, you know, I've met I've met everyone but Davey yet. I haven't met him yet, but they're so cool. Yeah. Just, they're so nice and kind and humble and yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's I, pretty rad. I met him years ago back at, like, the California Music Awards, okay. just, like, in, in, in passing, you know, doing a bunch of interviews and that sort of thing. Cool. Um, and, yeah, they're, I mean, pretty cool, gracious guys. Yeah, yeah, extremely. It's just, it's it's awesome. You know, they're just, they're punk rockers who paid their dues to a successful career. And, yeah. you know, you can tell their appreciation for younger bands. You know, the way we've been treated thus far already in two days, it's like, thank you. you yeah. Know? So yeah, it's gonna be a fun ten days. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm bummed we're leaving when nothing comes on because I love that band. Oh, but yeah. um, yeah, we're good friends with Souvenirs. They're homies from home, so like that's cool there with us, and yeah. it's good. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. So is there anyone that you w- want to collaborate with that you haven't yet? I've always wanted to work with uh, Greg Alexander from like the New Radicals. Okay. Um, that that to me is yeah. the most underrated album of all time. It's like that record front to back is pop rock perfection. Like there's no beating it. Yeah, it's some of the most incredible music I've ever heard in my entire life. But um, like yeah, and it's funny. Everyone always thinks they're one hit wonders, which technically they were, but it was his choice. He at the height of that single, you get what you give. He broke the band up. He's like, I'm done. So because yeah. he just wanted to go into you know producing and writing. But um, yeah, he's he does production writing still. And had he had a successful, I think it was like a Grammy-winning soundtrack and song. Uh, what was that movie called? Karen Knightley I, was in it, oh, and like uh, I can't remember. Not close to home, or not something yeah. like that. But okay. um, yeah, he's yeah. like my number one. I just want to fucking meet him. Yeah, I want to meet him, like write a song with him. I just think that'd be awesome. Yeah, hopefully yeah. that'll happen. Yeah, so. you never know. You never yeah. know. Um, you know, I'd love to work with the Tears of Fears guys. Oh yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Um, I'd love to do something with them someday. That'd be a cool mix, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, we had Kurt. Kurt from Tears for Fears was in the slow video, which was really cool. Um, that was Morgan's doing, but oh, okay. Yeah, okay. he uh, Morgan had this wild idea. Yeah, and he sent us on the management. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a yeah. quick little cameo. Yeah. That's Kurt from in Tears behind for Fears. you. And, yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's okay. cool. Okay. So that was a fucking dream come true. Yeah. There are no words to put that. Like singing your song and oh, yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, yeah, it was like he walked in. Like I got the email. It was like his email. He's like, I love this song. I'll be there. I'm like, holy shit. So he showed up on day two of filming. He walks in just by himself. So humble. Yeah. So polite. Gentleman. Like, and I'm just looking at him. I'm like, yeah. 
like, like you don't understand like super like fan you don't want to nerd out, out. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. i've been listening to you since i was a kid yeah you know i was like six years old in the back of the my mom's ford windstar listening to songs yeah. songs of the big chair you know and um yeah it was just really cool there was a moment where morgan was showing him what we had filmed the day before yeah so he was just had his he had the laptop open was showing him and like kurt was just like to himself watching just like singing the song quietly to himself and i just looked at him yeah, is this happening? And right? I was just like, like yeah. I, I told, I was like, didn't hide it. I was just like, this is so cool that I'm just looking at you sing my music, uh-huh. like sing my lyrics. Because like, if you only knew how many times I've just like sung along to your shit. Like, yeah. I just, it was really yeah. cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool I had to remind myself of that moment too. It's like, that's a fucking, that's a beautiful moment in you life. You don't realize it's that like, that stuff can happen. Like when you're a yeah, kid and oh, yeah. really appreciating. Yeah. And you, you know. It's incredible. But yeah. he was, he was so, I have nothing but incredible things to say about him. It was a very yeah. short moment and it was beautiful and perfect yeah. and very grateful for it yeah yeah well that's awesome yeah yeah well cam thanks for taking the, oh, the dude, time thank today. you so much man this is awesome yeah really looking forward to your set it's me awesome stoked that was the interview with cam from chain gang of 1974 and uh had a really good conversation with him um about the uh the band about uh one of his videos where he got to work with one of his idols uh, from the talking heads uh which i mean he he talked about kind of the feeling of seeing this person like singing his song you know which was one of his idols which is really cool um and uh lots of other great topics so it was uh it was a fun conversation that's awesome yeah and uh and so like um like we talked about before their their big single is uh sleepwalking that's their um their, their biggest single of all time and so at least up to this point so we're going to uh play sleepwalking from their set at the fox theater now warning that uh, some of the audio is kind of a little you know hard to disentertain a little uh, challenged a little challenged but we wanted to bring it anyway so yeah this is definitely an experience we're sharing um and I mean, it's a, it's a really great song. Yes. And so if you really like it, go check out the video on YouTube. Um, obviously purchase the album. Uh, it'll have that on it. And uh, yeah, check them out. A really great band. Um, and here is Sleepwalking from Chain Gang 1974. Hello, this is Comteen from the band Chain Gang of 1974. And you are listening to Concert Pipeline.
right, that was Sleepwalking from Chain Gang of 1974, and now we're going to uh, move on, and I want to I talk just a little bit about the Frank Turner show that um, I went to this past week. He played at the uh, Warfield in San Francisco. Another great venue. Yes, uh, and... Uh, and it was cool to uh, see him. I'd seen him open for Flogging Molly, um, and uh, you were at that show, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you remember and, Frank Turner? And, and I was wondering, why does Frank Turner sound so familiar? But yeah, absolutely. You remember, he, he put on a killer performance, like a headline-style performance at that uh, at that show opening for Flogging Molly. And I was, uh, I'd interviewed him um, prior in the day uh, for uh, at that show and had a really great conversation with him. Um, also after the interview, he recorded a video, uh, calling out my buddy Joe, uh, for not going to the show, which was pretty funny. Uh, and I sent that to Joe and he said it was, you know, the best burn ever. So when we found that Frank Turner was going to be back, Joe, you know, felt obliged, I guess, based upon that to go. <laughs> being called out by Frank, one of who is someone that he really liked, uh, right. to actually go to the show. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So how did Joe make himself known so that Frank would be like, ah, oh, you made it. Oh, uh, I don't think that happened. It didn't happen. <laughs> no. Uh, what? We, we just went to the show. We went to the show. It was fun. Oh yeah. my gosh! No. Frank's gotta know. No, I don't oh, think. I don't man. think Frank would remember. I was uh, hoping honestly. that he, you know, Joe would have done a stage dive or something. You know, just made himself is, present. Is that what you thought would yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah. Because Joe's that kind of guy. He's that kind of guy. Yeah, he stage dives at every. <laughs> That's show. That's the first thing I always yeah. think of when I think of Joe. He's a stage diver. He is. Yeah. But but it was speaking of stage diving. It was uh, pretty funny because later in this in Frank's set, uh, he had he brought a girl on stage, and um, I think she was underage. But uh, he gave her a, a task dur- of during the next song to uh, to crowd surf from one side of the crowd uh, to halfway through uh, give give one particular person uh, in the crowd a high five. Uh, uh, and continue crowd surfing to the uh, uh, all the way to the other side Sweet. of the uh, the um, the venue uh, to the bar where uh, where she, uh, she would take right next to the bar she would take a selfie with one particular person and uh, and then uh, at the bar pick up two shots of whiskey I think and uh, and continue crowd surfing back up to the stage and uh, and take a shot with Frank. whiskey intact the whole way back yeah yeah wow okay and she made it back with the shots and gave her shot to someone else in the band uh because Uh, she was underage underage. okay (laughs) (laughs) well at least she's honest about it i know right (laughs) Uh, yeah you take the shot right come on well that's pretty cool i mean that's a concert you're never going to forget right no yeah you have 2500 people watching you yeah see that that, that should have been joe it should have been should have been joe Yeah. yeah no no yeah. Oh well, but it was mm-hmm. it was fun. Yeah, he hadn't been to a show with him since Jackson, the Jack's Mannequin show, I think a year, mm-hmm. like a year ago. So, um, and he hadn't been to a show since then either. So it was good to get out, go to a show. We got some flying falafels. Uh, <laughs> How were they flying? <laughs> That's the name of the place. Uh, so they do they throw them at you or no. well actually so he like frisbees it's this it's this little hole in the wall shack like a third of a block from the war field like it's right right across the street and so before going to the uh going to the show we wanted to get something to eat we found that place before and then went there it's like three feet by three feet it's tiny uh and 
So there's two people working there, and when two with two people in line, they're already you know so busy. Like I mean, that got them so busy, and so they're making these like falafel pockets, right? And um, and then they they throw these like hush puppy balls, you know, like I mean, they take the tongs and like uh, the guy will throw it in the air and uh, and catch it in the uh, falafel sort of thing. So, uh, did you get this on video? I did not. No. <sighs> He only did it once. Also, I think he was kind of a tweaker. He is all over the place. Like, uh, also twitching. Yeah, he was just like, you know, just like moving real fast. You know, he, like real fast. Like he was in a hurry, but not making a lot of progress at the same time. Right? I see. Okay. For uh, for two people in line, there was one couple in front of uh, us that were uh, getting the food, and it took us like over ten minutes, maybe you know, maybe fifteen to get our our food interesting so twitchy fidgety falafel guy yeah but they were good but that uh that yeah that's the name of the place is the flying falafel <laughs> so check oh, it out catchy name yeah exactly so oh. so we had that um and then saw a really good uh set i mean there were four bands that were playing we got there before the third band started so we missed the first couple of bands which we'd heard were really good from the people that we met at the flying falafel and uh so we missed them but uh but saw frank and he was uh yeah it was really great to see him on a headline set uh he uh, brought out all you know all the stops he's a really great performer and i, I want to see him like every time he's in town now like that's awesome yeah i mean going from you know opening for flogging molly to being the headliner in how many years I mean, that wasn't well, that was ago. just last year. That, that was just last year. Played Flogging Molly. I mean, and he's been around for a long, uh, over eighteen years. So he's headlined shows before and mm. uh, and done all of that. But um, but I think this was his biggest um, headlining tour in the United States. He's from right. from England. So right. Oh, that's true. And mm. so he's bigger over there. But he's mm. been he's been growing here. That's nice. And, he must feel really, um, you know, excited about the uh, uh, increase in followers. I think uh, he would be. <laughs> I would be if I was from some other country, you know, I'd be like, oh, I'm back in the U.S. And whoa, look at the turnout. Cool. I can headline shows like this now. Yeah. And he also does this thing where I don't know how many bands do this, but I was listening. I've listened to a couple of pod, other podcasts that he was on besides this one, which you can go back and check out uh, for a limited time until it goes away. Um, which number was it? Podcast I, number. I'm going to have to search for it. Yeah. Maybe I can, but um, I was listening to other podcasts, and uh, and uh, he he uh, he announces at every show what number show it is of theirs. So this was his 2015th show. Whoa! Yeah, he starts from the beginning, not just the beginning of the tour, but exactly. beginning of shows. It's episode 113, and so this is 130. So this uh, so the episode with Frank Turner will be around for just another couple of weeks or so before it goes for away off the iTunes, off of iTunes deletes it exactly so um so yeah episode 113 of concert pipeline you can check out on itunes and stitcher uh featuring frank turner does stitcher do the same thing do they delete episodes after a certain number see i, I don't think it's not just itunes it's um it's the server that uh, that it goes through or something along those lines so some podcasts have more than that some only have mm. you know that amount it depends on how it's sourced from the server or something without getting too technical it's, hmm. it's not itunes fault i see okay so 
Uh, well, you got to know who to blame, right? Yes, and it's not iTunes. It's this cheapskate. So <laughs> oh, now yeah. we know. Steve yeah. is being cheap. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, it was such a fun show. It's, all, it's fun to go to a show once in a while without having to cover it mm-hmm. f- fully and just uh, go and have fun. And so that's what this was. Although uh, we are going to play a song by Frank Turner from, from that show. No, right. Yes. Let's do that. Which song is it? Uh, which one did you choose? We are going to play Mittens, which is uh, the lead single from his Mittens EP. All right. Here it is.
That was Mittens by Frank Turner from the, his set at the Warfield in San Francisco. Moving on, Jens, we have one more segment in the podcast, and what is that? It's our favorite segment. It's the... Music, music News! Yeah, so we dug up some stories uh, that we would like to share with you guys. And uh, I'll start, I'll kick it off here because I think I might have, you know, maybe one or two more stories than you. I don't know. I got a lot. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the, the music news today anyway. So, and we're on the verge of Grammy, uh, Grammys. Is that like this? That's like next weekend. It can't I think be this that's weekend. the weekend after Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be this weekend. Not sure exactly what weekend but um it is coming up yes uh so they're right around the corner so some of these are grammy themed um obviously after the end of the year you do like tabulations on how tours do and that sort of thing and uh so guns and roses reunion leg was a a massive success so the the mega money train of the reunited guns and roses continues to reap the riches reward uh, after the figures for a recent south american leg revealed a gross well over 50 million dollars wow that's for south america wow yeah that's incredible that was a good show that was a good show i was there uh that was the concert where i spilled beer on myself and then i proceeded to go replenish my beer and i missed their Pink Floyd cover, and you I will did. never, ever, ever forgive myself for that. You won't. No, I still have sleepless nights. Won't live it down. I know. I just can't. It's gonna haunt me forever. Yeah, but their 2016 tour across North America raked in 116.8 million dollars over nine weeks. Oh, wow! Imagine nine weeks of your life, and you know, for going out on stage for. Two two and a half hours a night. I imagine the show is about two and a half hours. They probably it was it was a pretty extensive it went on forever. Set, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it was no Springsteen, but um, mm-hmm. but it was a, a good substantial set. Two and a half hours a night uh, for nine weeks with a couple of days off. One hundred and sixteen million dollars. Like wow. one hundred and sixteen million. <laughs> yes. That's, wow. That's ridiculous, right? So that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the concert was long enough for me, but you know, that was situational. It was at AT and T Park, and it was getting cold and windy, and you don't want a concert to go on that long. <laughs> yeah, and so that's uh, hold on one second here. That's seven times nine is sixty. Okay, so one hundred sixteen divided by sixty-three. So that's one point eight four million dollars uh, a night. The uh, including nights off that 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 tour makes, so right. That's uh, an obscene amount of money. And yeah, so Guns N' Roses occupied eight of the top ten positions on Box Score's top ten highest earning chart. So they got all the money this past year. They got it all. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Way yeah. to go. Well, you know, there's so many people that are, you know, excited that they got their act together and were able to get together and do a show. And it's one of these things that, you know, I mean, I guess they're one, they're the epitome of what everybody said. It would never happen. It would never happen. It would never happen. Well, you know, don't, the doors never fully close as long, unless you're, it's nailed shut uh, six feet under the ground, right? Yeah. So. I'd really like to know what the dana- dynamics were like, you know, uh, during the 
during the uh, during the performances and during the tour. Yeah, and was it just? Oh, I'm sure each of them had their own tour bus. Like, go, yeah. you play on stage and you go off and do your own right. thing. You know, exactly. They're, they're not sharing a bus together. Like, <laughs> slash and and. Uh, so you don't think it was like, a, oh, big group hug. We let's put our past besides. Let's be best friends mm, again. No, I think Nothing it's like, like that. What? How often do we get a paycheck now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the conversation, and not between each other, between mm. their managers uh, right. individually and and everything. Wow. I don't, with this sort of situation, I don't see them as spending much time together off a stage. Mm. They didn't go, hey, we got a day off, guys. Let's go check out the uh, Rock and Roll History Museum. You know, like, <laughs> I don't see any of that happening. With so you don't see people like hanging out with the whole band in the back room in the back? Mm, I it's th- like everyone has their own room or at least um, I'm sure there was a lot built into their writers uh, yeah. as far as requirements and everything and they they saw each other as little as possible during this tour I'm sure <laughs> and it probably won't happen again for another 15 years 20 yeah, but yeah well they pulled it off well because you def- definitely didn't really feel any you know animosity on stage oh no no you're making 116 million in nine weeks like yeah you kidding that's two months that you're making 116 million i think yeah. you're you're doing all right you, you'll put that aside for the time on stage you won't show any of that right but off stage is a different story and i just don't think they you know put themselves in that situation if they wanted to get through it so more power to them yeah let's see i've got a story uh one of my favorite uh all time Bob Dylan! Bob Dylan, musicians, yes, Bob Dylan. Um, yay, fans can rejoice. He has a new triple album. Just what we out. need is <sighs> 36 songs from Bob Dylan. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Just what we need. More Dylan songs. But hey, there's a catch. Uh-oh. Is is he gonna show up or Yeah, he's not gonna show up for the album. It's just gonna be three blank discs. Right. That you can either buy or, you know, download. Um no, these aren't his songs, apparently. He ran out of material. He ran out of material, I guess. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know if he feels like he needs to be uh, releasing albums, you know, on a consistent basis. Even if he's not writing any more songs, he just, I don't know, throws a bunch of stuff on there. Um, but, you know, he's done, a lot of people know that he's done um, Frank Sinatra stuff. Uh, so this kind of continues on the same theme. Um, so it says here, the triplicate continues Bob Dylan's passion for making new recordings of the great American songbook. So from the list of 30 songs, so many recorded by Frank Sinatra, it's easy to see Bob Dylan's love of the classic American music and his desire to be a DJ, curator, and singer of the great American song from before and uh, not long after World War II. I, I want to see Bob Dylan DJ a set in a club one night. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was picturing. Just DJ Dylan. <laughs> He's up there with how his hair. How many rucka roads was the man weird clothes. up the dam? Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, how many? Um, like a rolling. Yeah. So I would, I would pay to see that. Yeah. I would pay to see that as long as they were like chicks fighting. You know, in the front. He's like, I've got two turntables and a <laughs> microphone. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Yes. You see, if you want to be, if you want to diversify, you know, your passion in music, I mean, he's done the Frank Sinatra thing already. He needs to do two turntables and a right. microphone. Cover some back. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Dylan. Yeah. 
Anyway, there you go. So if you're a big Frank Sinatra fan and you love Dylan's amazing voice because he's so known for it, um, this triplicate will be for you. When? Does it say when? Oh, uh, hopefully never. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll be printing off CDs in his, uh, in his house, right? Oh, it's going to be available <laughs> on vinyl, too, for those okay. of you that do have two turntables and a microphone, uh, March 31st. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Around the corner. And it's aptly named Triplicate. Yes. So, uh, talked about the Grammys coming up, right? So, uh, the Recording Academy had jumped the gun earlier this week when they announced that Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl would be performing with A Tribe Called Quest at this year's Grammy Awards. Um, Organization behind the event issued the following update on... just uh, yesterday, uh, we announced that Dave Grohl would be performing with uh, Anderson, uh, Pac, and A Tribe Called Quest prior to confirming all participants, namely Dave Grohl. Sweet. Uh, so he's not going to be a part of the performance, and it was made prematurely, so he won't be there. Sorry. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay, fine. Tying into that, uh, Bottle Rock is sold out 100%. Completely sold out. And how many people do you think are out there making lots of money selling their tickets? There are some, but you know, honestly, like if you can, there's a trade website through Bottle Rock directly, I guess, where you you can post your um, your passes and sell them. And they're not that outrageous, right now. Like it's like $400 for a three-day pass, which. I mean, even uh, at the cheapest level, it was like 350. So it, you can still get them at you know not too outrageous of a price right now. Now, gear as it gets closer to May, I'm sure it'll be a different story. But right now, it's your time to get them if you want if you snoozed on buying your tickets. All right. Yeah, you snooze on those tickets, uh, or if you're out of the country or whatever, don't have internet. Um... In some capacity, you know, and live in a cave, uh, you can buy them for more money. Yes. Talking you- about Bottle Rock, um, one of the headliners is Tom Petty. I have got an article about Tom Petty. What you got? Well, this is kind of new to me. Um, maybe I just live in a cave. I don't know. But there's this thing called Music Cares. It's a gala. And... Um, Apparently, uh, musicians get the honor of um, uh, being nominated Person of the Year. So that happened to be Tom Petty. So Petty says um, that when that was announced, uh, he was honored. It's, and a, it's an honor, right? They it's get, an honor. the honor. Exactly, right? So he had to say he was honored, and I'm so very pleased to be honored as the Music Cares Person of the Year. I have so much respect for this organization, which really does care about the people in our industry. Um, I myself know many people who Music Cares has aided in desperate situations. Again, let me say this is a true honor. So, great. He is honored. He's honored. He's very honored to be Person of the Year for Music Cares, and apparently... This is an organization that helps people in desperate situations. And I guess there's a lot of other performers at that too, right? Yeah, we've got people like Kings of Leon, the Foo Fighters, Don Henley. Dave Grohl. Yeah, Dave Grohl. And Petty. Um, Petty, yep. Wouldn't it be cool (laughs) if Bottle Rock... Wouldn't it be cool? So they're partnering on this thing uh, for... 
uh, music cares. Wouldn't it be cool if they partnered together at Bottle Rock and you know and did like a song together, Petty and Girl? Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be that would be incredible. That better happen on the on the day that I go there because I only have one ticket. <laughs> you want it to happen on the closing night, right? Yeah, I'm not like some people who bought the whole weekend ticket. I know, right? Some people will be there yeah. every day. Every day. There are some other um, artists: uh, Don Henley, Gary Clark Jr., your favorite person, Nora Jones. Oh yes, of course. You're a huge fan of Nora. Uh, Stevie Jick, uh, Stevie Jicks. Sorry, um, Stevie Nicks. That Apologize, one. Stevie. Yes. ELOs, Jeff Lynn, very cool, and on and on and on. A bunch of other people. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have one more story. I'm not sure if you have another story after I'm good, that, but, yeah. All right, so then we will wind it out with this last story. It's, uh, it, this is, you know, sometimes we get these stories that aren't real stories, but, you know, people in rock who just kind of voice their opinions. This is one of those. So um, Ronnie James Dio and Motorhead frontman Lemmy uh, were both honored at the Hall of Heavy Metal History Induction uh, event, and Slayer's Carrie King says that they both should also be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you know, uh, actually, years ago, I did see uh, Ronnie James Dio and Motorhead at the same show, uh, which is really cool. They both opened for Iron Maiden. I saw it at the Concord Pavilion. Uh, what an incredible show. Wow. And when was that? That was, oh God, it had to have been like 13 years ago. Yeah. So when I think of Iron Maiden, I think at least 13 years ago. Yeah. But I think he's coming from uh, that. Uh, Carrie King is coming from the fact that, you know, yeah, they've both been around for an incredibly long time, done their work and that, you know, and that we lost both of them pretty recently mm, uh, mm. as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Cleveland institution has long been criticized for snubbing iconic rock bands and especially heavier rock artists in favor of rap and pop stars. Uh, while they have been making amends in recent years with the inclusion of Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and Yes, metal stars still see some uh, gaping holes in the rock hall. Um, and King was on hand at the event, and um, he said, Dio is one of my top two singers of all time, and he was a good friend and a good dude. Uh, Lemmy, the career speaks for itself. Uh, the motherfucking, uh, er, they motherfucking should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so... Okay. They motherfucking should. They should. I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to see when the list comes out of nominees and that some of them, like, who've been here for, you know, forever and done their time and, like, that they don't get in that time. So they have to come up for nomination again, you know? It's mm. like, you'd think that, you know, when you hit 25 years, that's when you're eligible to be get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you get to a certain stature. You, you wouldn't think you'd have to fight or, you know, through some other people too. Yeah, exactly. You think it would be, um, you know, an obvious conclusion. Yes. And speaking of obvious conclusion. We are uh, wrapping this episode up, number 130. We are. This is the obvious conclusion of this episode, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> that it is over. Yes. Uh, wait, did I talk about my tree? I, I think we hit that for about 10 minutes. Oh, yes. good. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's this episode of Concert Pipeline. Um, we are going to come uh, at you next week, maybe a little later in the week, with uh, an interview with John Courage. He's a local artist from Sonoma, actually, who 
uh, I had on a TV program years ago, like 13, 13, 14 years ago, something like a long, long, long time ago. That's ancient history. Yeah. On one of, one of the iterations of my old TV programs. And, uh, um, from the archives. Yeah, no, this isn't that <laughs> I am not pulling out that old interview <laughs> and he is still around uh, and um, uh, nothing is in the archives. This is going to be fresh new material. He is playing a show uh, with uh, actually that Travis Hayes, who was on the program recently put together um, and uh, Travis actually sent me uh, an invite to this thing and I uh, like through Facebook and I saw I saw the lineup and I'm like oh my gosh that would be um, really cool it'd be a lot of fun um, like I said John Courage he we're going to be interviewing him also this other band uh, that we had on the program a couple of years ago Trebuchet uh, is going to be playing they're really cool so a bunch of local North Bay uh, acts and um, and uh, we will be reporting on that for you guys um bringing back some interview as well so that sounds sweet that is next time on concert pipeline uh for all of us here at concert pipeline that is jen Shipple. and that is steve jones we will catch you next time